She said, even everyone, so, yeah, he said, my name's Joe, I go to the lease site, uh, but I actually grew up going to Downham. So those of you who don't know me, I've actually been to all three of the sites across Kings, um, so I've got a little bit of a reputation. And uh, so I grew up going to Downham as a teenager, and basically when I was about 15, ended up coming to Catford. Uh, I was at Downham before it was a part of Kings, and then once I came to Kings, basically Downham all followed. And then when I was about 17, when the Lee site launched, I ended up going over to Lee. And so it's great to be back at uh, Catford. This was the service that I always came to. I came to the 5.30. And uh, so it's, it's quite really surreal being back here. And uh, I came here as a youth. And so I would say, actually, just before I start talking about what I'm going to talk about tonight, just to the youth, used to, I used to sit over in that very block there when I was 15, 16, only a few years ago in the back. And I would just say to you, don't come without expectation to these meetings. Don't come to church at the 5.30. Come with an expectation that God will do something miraculous in you. Because when I came as a young person, 15, 16, 17, God completely and utterly changed my life. And so I would say, come with that expectation. Come, don't just because, you know, you might come because your mates come or because your mum brings you or whatever. But as you come, be expecting of actually hearing God's voice, seeing what he will do in you and through you. So I thought I would mention that before I start and would say, yeah, to the youth, this was me, you know, five, six years ago, and God has done a lot in me since then. So tonight I'm going to look at uh, a text in the Gospel of Matthew. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to turn to Matthew 14. If you don't have a Bible, it will uh, come on the screen behind me. I would just encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, then get yourself one. It's a really good resource to have, and it's great to bring it with you on a Sunday as well. Basically, you can follow it through as I preach and make sure that I'm not making anything up which is always good. But it's just a great thing to have. Um, If you don't have one, don't worry, it will come on the screen. And tonight I'm going to talk a little bit about a topic that is probably, I don't know, his favourites for all Brits. You can tell I'm British. I'm going to talk about the weather, which is uh, basically really boring and something that the British people love to talk about whenever they can get an opportunity. And in the story today that we're going to look at, a big part of it is about the weather. So if you're with me in Matthew 14, I'm going to start reading from verse 22. It says this, Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up to the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land. Buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it, during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, They were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come on to the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when, and when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to look at this text together. Yes, Lord, we do thank you for the Bible. God, we thank you that it wasn't just a, a book written 2,000 years ago, but that it speaks truth to us today. And we pray that as we come together as a group of people to look at this passage together, that you would reveal yourself to us, that you would speak to us, 
God, that we would hear your voice, that we could continue to worship you in this moment. We say, come and be with us. Fill me with the Holy Spirit and be with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm just going to set the scene for you of this story in case you don't know Jesus. Uh, as him and his disciples, they've just fed 5,000 people. One of the most famous stories in the Bible. That's just happened. And Jesus has also been told just before that that his cousin's been killed. So Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, has been killed by Herod. So Jesus has just had that dropped on him. And then 5,000 people come looking for a bit of dinner. And so he feeds 5,000 people. And then basically, he's knackered. Jesus is at the end of the day and he's thinking, man, I just need a little bit of space. Yeah, we've all been there. And so he basically tells his disciples, listen, you boys go on ahead. Okay, can you go on ahead? I just need a little bit of me time. It's basically what Jesus says to them. And he sends them across the Sea of Galilee. And he says, listen, you lot go on and I'll hook up with you later. Is essentially what Jesus says. And so the disciples, they get in their boat, the disciples, the fishermen, and they set off across the Sea of Galilee. Okay? Now, in case you don't know, I've got a little photo of um, the story that we've just spoke about on the next slide, which I found, I don't know. Here's the Sea of Galilee, in case you don't know what it is. Now, I just want to explain to you a little bit about the Sea of Galilee, just so you understand the story. The Sea of Galilee is 13 miles long and 8 miles wide. Yeah, so it's, it's a big thing. And it is the biggest freshwater lake in all of Israel. Okay? And it's also the lowest below sea level. So the Sea of Galilee is the lowest freshwater lake below sea level in the world. So you can see from the photo, it's surrounded by hills on the right-hand side at the back. And there's almost this little valley that leads straight to the Mediterranean Sea. Okay? There's like a little valley. And basically what that means is that it was very, very easy for storms to be whipped up from the, sea of, from the Mediterranean Sea and end up on the Sea of Galilee. They would come through the valley and there would be storms in little to no time. This is like a little geography lesson for you. If you thought you've got out of school, kids, you haven't. So um, I'm going to be an English teacher next year, so I'm getting used to teaching a little bit of geography here and there. And uh, so basically, the storm would come flying in and within you know, half an hour or so, there could be a storm on the Galilee without any warning. And so even now... Fishermen out in Galilee, they would be cautious about going out on the the sea of Galilee late at night. They wouldn't really do it because they know they could be banging trouble at any minute with a storm coming up. And so Jesus sent them out. He probably knew that it was going to be dangerous. And Jesus sends them out onto the Sea of Galilee. And basically we see in the story, don't we, that they begin to get in a a little bit of bother. They begin to get in a little bit of a struggle. And this is what happens. They end up getting in the storm. And the first point that we can learn from this story, the first thing that we can see from this story is uh, following Jesus, okay, following Jesus will not lead to a storm-free life, okay? Following Jesus, there's a big misconception in the world, I think in the church as well, there's this misconception that maybe once you become a Christian or once you start to follow Jesus or once you take that step, that basically your life will all be sorted, You know, or that your life, everything will be cushy, everything will be fine. Now I can tell you, and many others in the room can tell you probably, that that simply isn't true. Following Jesus will not lead to a storm-free life. In fact, many of us in the room now are probably in the midst of some sort of storm. There's probably things going on where it's a little bit like a storm. Even myself now as I preach, I could say there's, I'm in a season in my life where it feels a little bit like a storm. And so being a Christian doesn't guarantee you a storm-free life. If you was here last week, you would have heard Simon Allen preaching on the story of Joseph. And even his story is like a phenomenal example of how 
Being a Christian isn't going to be easy. Following God isn't going to be easy. You look at his life, he starts off by getting cast aside by his brothers and nearly killed. You know, and you think, oh, things can't get much worse. So he ends up, you know, going, working, and then Potiphar's wife accuses him of adultery, gets driven out of the home, and then he ends up in prison. And it's like his life was just a series of different storms, it seems like, for Joseph. It wasn't easy as he tried to continue to follow God and be committed to him. But what you also see in that story is every step that Joseph takes that seems like deeper into the storm, you see that each step is going deeper into God as well. Each step he's being shaped and his character is being refined and he goes closer and deeper to God. That's the story of Joseph right through to he ends up being with Pharaoh. And so we know that the story of Joseph is a clear example to us. And there's many others as well, myself included. And it got me thinking as I was preparing this message that anyone will tell you, anyone who, my parents used to tell me all the time and my dad still tells me now, he says to me that, the journey of life, it isn't easy. And many of you will testify to that, that life isn't always easy. And basically, we can become children of God in an instant. Okay? We as people, you can become a child of God in an instant. We heard Richard come and share a story with us today where just a, a conversation ends up becoming a child of God. The Bible says if we turn away from our sin, if we come, we repent before God, we acknowledge our need for his grace and mercy. In an instant, we will be saved. And we become a child of God, adopted into his family, sons and daughters. That happens in an instant. However, to become a man or a woman of God is a far longer process. To become a child of God is is pretty quick, it's pretty simple. The rules are lined up. But to become a man or a woman of God is a much longer process. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't simply happen across a couple of Sundays. It doesn't happen just through listening to a preacher or two. It's a process that takes a lot longer. It takes time to become a man or a woman of God. A process where you need to be shaped. A process where you need to be developed. A process where you need to be made robust or made strong. Where God will shape you. It talks in the scripture about how God is like a potter and we're like a piece of clay and that he is shaping us and moulding us to be more like him. And within that, you can expect to experience some storms. You can expect to experience some bumpy ground. You can expect to experience some hardships. And on that journey that you're on, that all of us are on, this is what you need to know from this story. You need to know that commitment to Christ, to follow Jesus, it does not guarantee a storm-free life. It doesn't mean that things will become all rainbows and sunshine. It doesn't mean that we get some magic wand out and all of a sudden all your problems go away. However, what it does mean is that we have a hope that goes beyond the grave. What it does mean is that you know that Jesus has already saved us from the storm. What it does mean is that you know Jesus has already won the victory. We've been singing it in worship just now. That Jesus has already won the victory that he promised us in his word to never leave us and to never forsake us. That he says he will not abandon you. That he himself come and made his home amongst us and he took every storm the world could throw at him. He was beaten, he was abused, he was made lonely, he suffered in every way, yet he overcame. It tells us, being a Christian doesn't lead to a storm-free life, but it does mean that we can be sure that we know one who is greater than the storm. Being a Christian doesn't lead to a storm-free life, but it means that we can be confident that there is one who is with us 
in the storm. And so if you're here tonight and you, you could say that your life is a little bit like a storm, then you can take solace in knowing that, that there is one who is greater than the storm and there is one who is with you in the storm as well. So that's the first thing that we can learn from this story, the first simple thing that we grasp just from Jesus letting the disciples go out on his own. Now if we take a look back at the story, okay, verse 25 in the account, we see that Matthew, he tells us that the storm, it was prolonged. He says the storm, it went on for a little bit of a while. Okay, it says that Jesus came in the fourth watch of the night. Now if you don't know what that is, the night, Back in those days, it was divided into four segments. It was to do with the Roman watch. Yeah, so the Romans, they would keep watch, obviously, over their, you know, the military camps, and they would keep it over the city, and it would be done in four slots. So they ain't got to stay up all night. And the fourth watch of the night was the final one. And basically, it's between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Yeah, so you're talking, it's about 3 o'clock in the morning or 4 o'clock in the morning. And if you remember from the story, Jesus sent the disciples out early evening. So he sent them out. They've been in this storm. They've been in the boat fighting against these waves all through the night. They've been in there about eight hours going through. It's been like wave after wave. This storm's kept coming. And you can imagine, they're all fishermen, right? So all of them know what it's like to be in a boat. Well, not all of them, but a few of them were fishermen. They know what it's like to be in a boat. They know how to sail. They're not silly, yeah? If you stuck me in the boat, it'd probably be a little bit of a giggle, to be honest. I'm from Downham. We don't really do fishing. We don't really do boats. And uh, so it'd probably be a bit of a laugh. But these guys, no, they were accustomed to the water. And so they're out there, and even them, eight hours, they're at sea, fighting, wrestling, trying to get to the other side, and they can't. This storm, it keeps going, this wave after wave after wave. And it's funny, isn't it? Because if you're anything like me, there's probably times when life feels a little bit like that. Life feels a little bit like it's wave after wave after wave. There's no respite. You feel like maybe even now you're in the fourth watch of the night. You feel like you're in the fourth watch of the night, of the storm. It's long. It's hard. And it's difficult. And for a little while, we have to suffer these trials. And sometimes they will last a while. There's a fantastic philosopher and theologian, probably one of my favourites, who I grew up in my house. And uh, a photo of him should come on the screen next. And... Uh, See if he comes to the next one. Fantastic theologian, philosopher, Rocky Balboa. And um, in the McNamara house, we grew up watching Rocky religiously. It was like my dad loved Rocky. I can quote uh, the film's words for word. And uh, the theologian, Rocky Balboa, says this. He says, let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place. And I don't care how tough you are. It will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Now, I used that obviously a little bit of tongue-in-cheek. And I'm not suggesting that we all go now and start following Rocky Balboa because we'll probably get our heads kicked in. But what I do suggest is that what he says here... The heart of what he's saying, there's some real meaning in that. There's some real truth in that, this idea of keep going. This idea of taking courage and keep going. Life can hit us hard. For many of us, we've probably already been hit hard by life. And storms, they can make us feel like we're on our knees sometimes. 
They can make us feel like we're on our knees and it will keep us there permanently if we let it. But in this story, Jesus goes on, he talks about taking courage. He says, keep going. And sometimes, it's funny, sometimes what happens in our life is we go through these storms and sometimes it's to, be, it's to prove that our faith might be genuine. Because being a Christian, following Jesus, is very easy when things are going smoothly. Okay, it's very easy. Maybe things are all going well at school or at work or at home or whatever and everything is rosy and you know what? It's easy to follow Jesus then. But actually, when it's hard, when times are hard, when you're in a storm, that's when it's difficult. That's when your faith has to prove genuine. That's when you have to really trust in God. That's when you really have to stand and say, you know what, even in the midst of my circumstances, in the midst of the storm that's going on, I will choose to say, no, I will trust in God. I have faith that he understands, that he knows, that he has a plan, that he will come through for me. Sometimes that faith, it has to be proved genuine. Knowing that he is greater than the storm, that he has a purpose for each and every one of us, and that he will come through, that he has promised us. I've already said it. I will never leave you or forsake you. Terry Virgo, many of you obviously heard of the guy who the founding father of New Frontiers. He, I heard him speak one time a little while ago, and I can remember he used an analogy uh, talking about storms. And he was talking about arrows and blacksmiths. Now, if you know anything about a blacksmith or arrow, you know that what they have to do, they have to apply the metal into the heat. Don't they? they have to put it in the heat for a certain amount of time, and when it's ready, then they can pull it out and then they whack it into shape. Yeah, it's the same with, that's the way that they did it as blacksmiths. And it's funny because those blacksmiths, they knew, it's, they know how long to leave it in the heat for. It's like they know how long. If you leave it in too long, yeah, it, it will begin to melt, it will begin to go, go floppy. If you don't leave it in there hard enough, if you take it out and hit it, it won't move into shape. It won't change. And it's like that. They know how long to leave it in the heat. And he was talking about how God knows how long to leave us in the heat for. God knows how long to leave us in the heat, to leave us in the storm. That when he pulls us out and he begins to whack us, that we will be changed and shaped and moulded into the arrow that he wants us to be moulded into. That he can then send us out. And it's profound. So if you're in the midst of a storm at the minute, know that God knows. He knows how long you need to be in there for. He knows what he's doing inside of you. He knows what he's doing to your character. He knows. And he knows how long he needs to leave you in there for. And I think it was the same for Jesus. Jesus was sitting on the mountaintop and the disciples were in a storm. He knows there's a storm. He knows what's going on. But he chooses to sit and wait until the fourth watch of the night. He chooses to wait until four in the morning. Let's them go at it for a few hours. Test them. See what they're made of. Knowing that it's going to be okay. And then he steps in. We read in the story that Jesus saw them in the storm. The darkness came and Jesus wasn't there with the disciples, was he? And basically, I try and think about what the disciples were thinking. I think if I was out on that boat, it's three o'clock in the morning, you're out in the middle of the sea, you're feeling pretty alone. Yeah, you're feeling pretty alone. Jesus wasn't there with him. They were always with Jesus. They followed him everywhere he went. But in this moment in time, Jesus weren't with them. Okay? And basically, this is what happens to us sometimes. When you're in the midst of a troubled time, you feel like you're alone. And you start to lie. The enemy tries to lie to us. That's what he does. He tries to tell us, God doesn't know about this. He's not interested in what's going on in your life. You're alone. Nobody knows. You're isolated. And, and we get bewildered. 
So when we get, we get bewildered, we get told that we're alone, that no one cares, that nobody understands. And the disciples, they probably thought that they were alone. They probably thought, right, we've got to do what we've got to do out here. We're stuck on our own. But that isn't the case, is it? That isn't the case in the story. It says that Jesus was alone on the mountain praying and that he saw them. It's supernatural that he would have seen them. It would have been dark. In the text, we get told that they were a considerable distance away. And if you read it in the Greek, it says, many stadia, basically, is what it means. That they were many stadia away. The word stadia is a, it's like a stadion, and it means 600 feet, basically. The word stadion means 600 feet. And so they were, it says they were a few stadia, many stadia. So they're a few hundred feet away. It works out they're probably about two or three miles out into the water. They were a considerable distance into the, to the Sea of Galilee, like we know. It's 13 miles long and 8 miles wide. There wasn't floodlights. There weren't streetlights. It's 2,000 years ago. Jesus didn't have an iPhone with a torch on it. You know, he didn't have a, a lantern. He saw them, it says. He saw them. It's supernatural that Jesus could see three miles through the dark over the water. It was supernatural. It says in Hebrews 4.13, no creature is hidden from his heart. No creature is hidden from his heart. Jesus knows. Jesus sees you. Each of us here, Jesus sees us. And you need to take heart and know that in the midst of your circumstances, whatever it is you're going through, God knows. God cares and he sees you. And often he reveals himself to us when we least expect it. At least least that's my story. It's three o'clock in the morning. And that's when Jesus decides to turn up. In the middle of the sea. They're in the middle of the sea, it's three in the morning, and Jesus rocks up. The disciples, they never could have guessed that. They never could have predicted that. And sometimes it's the same for you and I. Jesus will turn up and reveal himself when we least expect it. And when he turns up, they're petrified, they're scared. I'm going to read it again. It says, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Take courage, it is I. The phrase, it is I, carries a lot more weight than we would even understand. So in the Hebrew and in the Greek, the phrase, it is I, if you know anything about the story of Moses, when God reveals himself at the burning bush, Moses says, it is I, I am. It means that I am God. They knew that. The Jewish people, all of these guys in the boat, they were Jewish. They would have understood what Jesus was saying when he says, it is I. What he's saying in that sentence is, I am God. The same God that was with Moses at the burning bush, that is who I am. It is I. Jesus is saying, I am God. I am the one, essentially. I am the one who created all of this. I am the one who called earth into existence. I am the one who revealed yourself to your forefathers, to Moses, to Abraham. I'm the one who has come. It is me. Take courage. I am with you. That's a game changer for the disciples when they hear Jesus say that. They would have known immediately what that really means. The weight of that sentence. He is God. The Son of God with us now. It's a reason to take courage. And so the story tells us that they do. They take courage. And so I'm going to spend the, the final bit of time looking at, basically looking at a little bit at Peter in the story. I always like looking at Peter um, because basically I find his response 
A little bit baffling and somewhat fascinating as well. So I'm going to read Peter's response when Jesus comes and says this. This is what he says. He says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come on the water. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come on the water. Being around Jesus seems to have this effect on Peter. It has this effect on people that they can do things that are out of the ordinary. We read this story, we get familiar with it. Peter's saying, Jesus, if it's you, tell me to walk on water. He recognises that God is present. Yeah? And even, you know, in the most unlikely place. And what it does in Peter is it stirs up faith. It stirs up faith in Peter's heart. Okay? And he believes that he can walk on water. He sees there's an opportunity for him to walk on water. And when we spend time with Jesus, okay, when we spend time with him, in and outside of church, what it does is it stirs up faith. It stirs up faith that we can do things that are out of the ordinary. That he can do things through us that are out of the ordinary. That he can move. It stirs up faith. In a book by a guy called John Altberg, which is called, if you, want to want to, if you Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Step Out of the Boat. He takes us a little bit further about Peter. And he looks at Peter, how, what actually he's doing in this story. But Peter doesn't, he's not just some big risk taker. He doesn't decide, I'm just going to jump out of the boat and try and walk on water. If you look carefully at what Peter's doing, he's asking God to command him. He's, he wants to be obedient and follow Jesus. He's saying, Jesus, if it's you, command me to follow you. If it's you, command me to come and I will come. He wants to hear God's voice. He wants to hear God's voice. He has this idea. And he says, I think this is his idea. I think I should walk on the water. So he's like, God, if this is you, tell me, command me, and I will come. And Jesus commands him, and he goes. And it's funny because Peter would have been in the boat. Now, even though it was windy and there was a storm, the boat would have been a lot more safer than the water. Yeah, that's common sense. Yeah? The boat is safe, it's secure, it's more secure than the water. And it would have been easier just to stay in the boat. And for each of us, it's easier just to stay in the boat. But Peter, he wanted more. Peter wanted more. He wanted this spiritual adventure. He wanted to know Jesus. He wanted to be and walk with Jesus. He was desperate and hungry to know more of him. And so he wants to go to the next level. And there's something in all of us, isn't there? There's something in all of us that we like the security of the boat. We like the security of the boat. We don't necessarily want to take the risk of stepping out of the boat and walking on water. Or of taking a step and stepping out on an adventure with God. And I've got a question that I want to pose to you tonight. What is your boat? What is your boat? What is safe and secure for you that you want to remain in? What is it that is safe and secure for you and you think, I don't want to leave this, I want to remain in it? What is your boat? If you want to know what your boat is, if you're thinking, oh, I'm not sure what it is, and you want to go away and think, you have to ask, what is it you fear? What is it that you fear? Is it telling your friends about Jesus? Is it telling your colleagues at work about church or about God? Is it trusting God with your finances? Is it that new job that you're thinking about taking but you're not quite sure? Is it you're not really sure what to do in September? Is it success? Is it all of those things? 
And I want you to think about that question across this week as well. What is your boat? What is it that you fear? That you want to stay in the security of that rather than step out and follow Jesus and go where he is calling you to go. Peter, he steps out of the boat. But then what happens is quite funny. Peter steps out of the boat full of faith, right? He's full of faith. He's just seen Jesus walking with him. Do you know what? I'll have a bit of this. And he gets out and he starts to walk on the water. But what happens is quite quickly, Peter's faith is replaced with fear, isn't it? Peter's faith is replaced with fear. And this reminded me of a story, uh, basically a couple of times when I was younger. Some of you young people might be able to relate to this, and even others who are parents as well. Sometimes when I was younger, right, I would get, I'd feel a little bit brave, I'd get a little bit above my station, and I would think that basically I'd speak back to my mum, right? I think, you know what, I'm feeling a little bit brave, and I would basically try and, you know, speak back to my mum. She would try and tell me something. I think, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to argue back, right? And that's probably, I'm sure many have done that. And uh, what would often happen is, you know, I'd feel like I'm, I'm really gutsy. And my mum would just give me this look. Yeah, I don't know if anyone else knows about that mum look. But she would just give me, the, all it took was one look. And straight away, my boldness was replaced with fear. <laughs> straight away. Just that one look, I'm like, oh, mum, I'm so, you know, I'm, so, I'm cowering down. It's a little bit like Peter in this story. It's like he's feeling, yeah, I'm going to go for the water. He sees the wind and the waves. He thinks, no, stop this. And he, he, he's like, no, and starts to sink. And that's what I was like when I was younger. I was thinking, yeah, I'm a little bit of a big man. I say something to me, mum. She gives me that look. Would you say Joseph? And I'm like, no, nothing, mum. No, nothing. I'll go upstairs. And, uh, and that, it just reminded me of what Peter's like in that story. He sees the storm. He sees the wind and the waves. And he takes his eyes off Jesus. That's what Peter does. He takes his eyes off Jesus. Jesus thinks that Peter can do it. He believes that Peter can do it. But we've got to keep our eyes on him. We can't try and look in two places at the same time. We have to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Peter tried to look at the waves and the wind and walk on water. He couldn't do it. He couldn't do two things at once. And what happens is he takes his eyes off Jesus. He stops fixing them. And for that one moment, he focuses on the storm. And he starts to sink. He starts to drown. And it's no different with us. When we take our eyes off Jesus, when we focus on the storms, when we focus on all the other stuff that's going on around us, we sink. Daily, we sink. And Jesus says that we need to focus our gaze on him. And we need to do that daily. We need to come before Jesus daily and say, I will fix my eyes on you. I will follow you. I will know that it is you. You are the one. You are strong and you are the one who sustains me. I need you, God. I need you. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the one who sustains us, the one who keeps us going, the one who is in all things. And so you might go to school and you might think, oh, what's going on? He said, Jesus, let me fix my eyes on you. Let me fix my eyes on you. And we see in the story, don't we? And I'm about to close with this, that Jesus, the final thing I want to look at, has to save us again and again and again. Notice what Jesus does. Peter cries out to him as he starts to drown. I'm going to read it just again quickly. As he starts to drown, Peter cries out, Jesus, Jesus, save me. Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Immediately, Jesus saves him. Immediately, Jesus steps in. That is grace. 
Again and again and again, you will fall. Again and again and again, we take our eyes off Jesus and we try and do things our own way. And again and again, Jesus is there to save us and pull us back out and give us another go. And puts Peter back into the boat. Jesus saves us. That is grace. Even when we take our eyes off him, there needs to be no shame. There's no guilt. Because he will save us again. It's not about Peter's performance. It wasn't about Peter's ability to try and walk on water. It was about Jesus. Jesus was the one who had to come and save Peter again. And we have to come again, admitting our need for him, fixing our eyes on him, worshipping him, and taking courage because it's all about him. It is all about Jesus. Being a Christian won't lead to a storm-free life. But we have one who is greater than the storm, and we have to take courage and fix our eyes on him. I'm going to pray, and I think we're going to close and talk a little bit about groups. Jesus, we thank you for this story. We thank you that you are the one who saves us again and again and again. We thank you that it isn't down to our performance. God, when we come this evening recognizing that we are weak, like Peter, so often full of fear, but that you are strong. And we pray, God, that we will be those who fix our eyes on Jesus. God, in the midst of the storm, in the midst of what's going on in our lives, that we will fix our eyes on you. God, I pray, would you continue to be with us Would you continue to let us be those who step out, who take risks, who follow you wherever you might call us. Continue to speak to us, even through this week, about what it is we need to step out into. What it is we need to have courage for. What it is we need to keep our eyes fixed on you for. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.